since we're in a series called Greater, and this is Valentine's Day week, we thought it would be a great idea to preach on greater love. Amen? All right. Valentine's Day is a day that we celebrate love. Really, if you think about it, we should be celebrating love all year long, right? And I'm sure we do. But it is a day that we specifically celebrate love. But love has really become such a misunderstood word that we sometimes forget its meaning. But listen what 1 John 4, 8 says. Whoever does not love does not know God. That's some serious word because what? God is love. God's love is very different than our kind of love. That's because you know why? God is love. God embodies love. Love comes from God. And that is why God's love is the greatest love ever known to mankind. No matter how loved you have been, the greatest act of love in your life, God's love is way greater. So much greater, we probably can't even really comprehend it. It is far more superior to any love or anyone that anything that we have ever experienced. Apart from God, love would not exist because he embodies love. He is love. It's hard for our minds to grasp that, but that is truth. 1 John 4, 16 says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. Love, true love, and we're going to look at the different meanings of love shortly. True love, God's love is found in God and it is the only love. We cannot separate true love from God. It is the true love. So I want to begin by looking at the different meanings of love, just to give you a little basis to go forward. So in the English, we basically have one word for love. And I can say I love to travel, and I do love to travel. Uh, I love to read. I love chocolate. I don't know what I like more, travel or chocolate. I love movies. I love my family. I love God. But you notice something, the word almost becomes meaningless because my love for God is obviously so much greater than any of all these other things, but it sounds like it's being lumped into the same category, doesn't it? Well, here's how Webster's defines love, our Webster's Dictionary. It's a deep and tender feeling of affection, attachment or devotion to someone or something, a strong liking or interest in someone or something. Now, you can see here that our word for love is really pretty limited to the feelings and the attachments that we have. But I want to just insert here, you know, many times the things that we do, our acts of love are greatest when feelings aren't involved like that. It's when we feel like we don't want to do something, but we do it anyway. That's the greater love. So you can see our word is limited, but the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language, and the Greeks had basically four words for love, eros, which is physical love, passion. It's where we get our word erotic, and this is physical love that is reserved for marriage between a husband and a wife. Then there's phileo, which is affection, fondness, love between friends, but this love is reciprocal. 
You do something for me, I'll do something for you. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. I love you because why? Because you love me. Then there's storge love, which is a family love, and that's kind of the like blood is thicker than water, right? But then there's agape love. This is God's kind of love. It's, listen, a deliberate desire for the highest good of another. Come on. Normally, when we're thinking about love, who are we thinking about? Ourselves. But it's for the highest good of another. And many times, that may conflict what we feel is our, the highest good for us, right? It reveals itself in, keyword sacrificial action. Yeah. Come on. Get this down. Sacrificial action towards others regardless of their condition or their worth. You know, a lot of times the thing we do for others, it's because we see a payoff. But this kind of love is like, I'm doing this for you, even though it may cause me pain. So you see, there is these, these four Greek words, and we see about how different agape is. Agape is God's kind of love. And it can, how agape is the greatest love involving a deliberate choice and sacrificial actions. It's a greater love known by the actions it prompts. It's active. It's not passive. And it contains the essential nature of God. God embodies love in its unconditional and it's selfless. God's love is a giving kind of love. It is seen in the greatest way in the gift of his son. I don't want to just skim right over that. God gave his son so that we could be loved and understand love. It's not this. It's not this. I'll love you if, or I'll love you because, or I'll love you when you do something for me. No, it's I'll love you, period. Unconditionally, sacrificially. And most of what we consider to be love is conditional. And we don't even realize it. I'm challenging you today. We tend to give love if we receive love. And we tend to withhold love if we aren't feeling love or our needs aren't met. These things should not be. But agape love, listen to what agape love, God's unconditional, sacrificial love does. It creates value in those that are seemingly valueless. Agape creates beauty in seemingly unattractive people. Agape love creates significance in seemingly insignificant people. But in God's economy, there are no worthless, insignificant people. So I'm challenging us today. We need to grow in love. We need a better understanding of love. I'm sure many of you have heard teachings on love over and over and over, but are we doing it? God doesn't love us because we're so great or so deserving. If you think that, get over yourself. That's not it. God loves us in spite of what we do. Ah. Get that down. I've been getting that down really down lately. Getting it down in in my spirit in spite of what we do. Thank God because we're always messing up, aren't we? 
If his love was conditional, we'd be in really big trouble. It's, he doesn't do it because we're so deserving. It's not because of what we do. He loves us in spite of that. Romans 5, 5 through 8 says, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, God died. Christ died for the ungodly. So do you feel ungodly sometimes? God still loves you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. Very rarely will anyone die for even a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's just tell God thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Okay, don't share this with anyone. But think of the worst person <laughs> who ever lived. And hopefully it's no one you know personally. <laughs> think of them and listen, Christ died for them. Christ died for that person. In John 3, 16, here's, we see the greatest act of God's love. He sends his only son Jesus, to die for our sins. Listen, his greater love saves us, forgives us, gives us grace, shows us mercy, endures with us, pursues us, guides us, is patient with us, corrects us, speaks to us, protects us, and it goes on and on and on and on and on. And he does all of this and much, much more because of his greater love. You are loved by God, irrevocably and unconditionally loved by God. And his love is greater. Thank you. Thank you, Sherelle. <laughs> his love is greater because it is unconditional and it's motivated by the higher good of others. That is love, folks. It's a selfless love that is focused on giving love. So Pastor Joe and I are about to celebrate our 50th anniversary. Some people thought we already did. Thank you. <laughs> but he put on Facebook, we've celebrated 50 thanks, I mean 50 Valentine's Days, and people thought he was talking about anniversary, but nope, it's coming. Believe me, I'm, I'm loving this interim time because I'm so excited. 50 years in June, and we've, been, I've, we've both been working on selecting pictures for a video for this event. So listen, just an aside, never knew how many pictures we had. But I started off in the closet in the guest room, boxes and bins. Then I went under the beds, bins full of pictures. Then our computers, then our phones. I mean, this has been a five-month project. I'm sure I've looked at way over 10,000 pictures. And, but doing that just caused me to kind of fall in love all over again, you know? I mean, right before my very eyes was our whole life together. From the time we dated and met and through the good times and the bad times, when I'm going, oh, oh, I remember this, I remember that. And, you know, so I, I've been looking at these pictures. I'm feeling even more in love. But looking at our entire lives, 50 years, that's a long time. And I know this, 
we would never have made it without me. I mean me. No, I mean him. Without Joe, not me. Joe, we would we would never have made it. You know, really, it takes both. It does. But we're we're total opposites. My strengths are more his weaknesses. His strengths are more my weaknesses. Did I say that right? Yeah, you guys know what I mean, right? So I mean, it was just so amazing seeing these pictures of our entire life. But here's what these pictures made me realize. They made me realize what I love about him. I love the times that we have spent together and the memories that we have made. I love just how kind and giving he is, how he lays his life down for me. I love how he is selfless. And I love how he gets me some of the time. I'm not going to break over into lying here. Come on. <laughs> Anybody ever notice how different men and women are? Mm-hmm. But you know what? Do you notice anything about my love here? Are you noticing anything? It's all about me. It's all about me and how he makes me feel, what he does for me. And you know what? The Bible calls that phileo or brotherly love. It's a reciprocal love. But agape love is the real kind of love. It's selfless. It lays down one's life for the other person. It's a greater love. So I'm not looking at these pictures thinking, oh, I remember that picture, that dumpy rent house that we lived in so that we could go into ministry. I'm not remembering that picture and feeling all this love, how we had to stay there eight years longer than I wanted to stay there because Pastor Joe wasn't ready to move. I'm not sitting there thinking, oh, baby, I love you so much for you making wise financial decisions for us. Uh, no. I'm sitting there thinking, are you kidding? Do you really care about me at all? I don't know that I was having loving feelings toward him during that time, but... That really actually, I waited. I waited eight years. I'd like to say I didn't complain or moan and groan, but I did. But you know what? That, the waiting, eight years to be under his authority on this because he wanted to be financially prepared. I don't care. I just want my house. (laughs) So figure it out, you know? And we both worked. I worked three jobs. I think he worked two or three jobs till... Very end, I'm getting off here, but Ann Murkison gave us $10,000 or we would have waited another four years. <laughs> I think she had pity on me. And eventually we got that house. But that was the true act of love, was my waiting, laying my di- life down and waiting. I, and listen, I died daily to that one. <laughs> I feel like I'm in the company of Paul, you know? <laughs> You know what? All the women are laughing. All the men are like, whatever. <laughs> John 15, 12 through 13 says this. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that he lay down his life for his friends. When's the last time you said, man, I just feel so unloved. I'm going to go and do something for somebody else and lay my life down. What? You're more like, help me, you know, calling all your friends. I need to feel loved. 
John 15 is a powerful scripture. Now listen, that doesn't mean that we necessarily physically die for someone, but that you would die daily to yourself. That is sacrificial love. I think it's probably harder to die daily to ourselves than a one time I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run in front of a car to protect you. And it's over. You know, we don't have to go through that every single day. But you put yourself not, not before the other person. You sacrifice for them. And usually when we say we love someone, what we really mean is we love what they do for us. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. But I gave up what I wanted for Joe's sake. He, I never let him live it down, but I gave up what I wanted. <laughs> So, <laughs> it was hard, guys. Come on. <laughs> so, but God gave me a beautiful home now. God was so faithful, yeah. Yeah. So, I started thinking about the people in the Bible who had greater love. Because we always want to go to that source. And I think the first, obviously, I don't think I know. The first and uh, greatest love story in the Bible is between God and man. That is our number one love. His love is supreme. His love is greater. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Love is spelled. Anybody know how love is spelled? Say it again. Oh, Jesus. Okay, that's one way. How about G-I-V-E? Love is spelled give. And God gave the greatest sacrifice known to man. And Jesus also gave. He gave his life. He suffered so we could have eternity. And it's so compelling to note the love that the disciples had as they literally gave their lives to follow Jesus. I want to run through this and and share with you the sacrifice the disciples made in order to follow Jesus. Matthew was killed by a sword wound. Mark was dragged by horses through the streets until he was dead. Luke was hanged in Greece. John was boiled in a huge basin or cauldron of boiling oil, but he still lived. Later, he died as an old man. He was the only apostle to die peacefully. Peter was crucified upside down on a cross. James was thrown down over a hundred foot temple from a hundred feet from the temple. When they discovered that he survived the fall, his enemies beat James to death with a club. James, the son of Zebedee, was beheaded in Jerusalem. That'd be the quickest one of all. Bartholomew was martyred for his preaching in Armenia where he was beat to death by a whip. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross in Greece. Thomas was stabbed with a spear. Jude was killed with arrows. Matthias was stoned and beheaded. Paul was imprisoned, tortured, and then beheaded. Let me read John 13 again. Greater love has no one than this that they lay down their lives for their friends. And also keep in mind, we don't have to die, although sometimes it may require that, to lay down our life. And I thought since it's Black History Month, I'm reminded of Harriet Tubman. She is one of my favorites. I, I love her life. I love her story. And all, although she didn't die doing it, she risked her life 
now be thinking about greater love for 10 years as she rescued approximately 70 enslaved people from slavery. She took 13 life-threatening trips to help them escape. It's reported that whether or not she could hear the footsteps of the bounty hunters gaining on her for the reward. There was like a $40,000 reward on her head. Harriet Ross Tubman was driven by love. Love drove her more than the fear. She could have been caught and she would have been killed, but she had a love that was greater than her fear. So I considered these characteristics of love, and I began thinking of some biblical examples that I could share with you this morning. And I chose to highlight three. There are many examples in the Bible of biblical love, but I like these three. First of all, Jacob and Rachel. Okay, this begins when Isaac, Jacob's father, sends him to his brother Laban's house where he falls in love, falls in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel. Now, to, in order to marry Rachel, Laban tells him he has to work seven years. What? Seven years? Genesis 29, 16 through 18 says this. Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older one was Leah, and the name of the younger one was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. And that is exactly what he did. Genesis 29, 20 shows a glimpse of his greater love. Now here he is seven years working hard, probably looking over at her on a daily basis. Seven years, only six years and nine months more, only five years and two years, two months, 12 hours, 30 seconds more. I'm sure that wasn't an easy task, but listen, this shows a glimpse of Jacob's love for her. Jacob served seven years to get Rachel but they only seemed like a few days to him because of his love for her. What does that say about my love after eight years of waiting? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, (laughs) but you know what? Some of us complain if we have to serve somebody for 10 minutes. Really? You mean I can't? you know, be in the service for 10 minutes or really they're going to interrupt my day or, you know, we don't want to sacrifice. But then after this, after seven years, something terrible happens. Yep. On the wedding night, Laban switches Rachel. Obviously, it was dark. He switches Rachel for his older daughter, Leah. And then he, then he later agrees to give Rachel to Laban, if he were, no, Rachel to Jacob, got that wrong in my notes, if he agrees to work another seven years. If somebody told me I was going to have to uh, wait another eight years after those first eight years, I'd have been out there finding a house. I would have done something, but he agrees to it. He's like, talk about love. Man, that was, that was really love. Another seven years for a total of 14 years to be with the one he loved. Loves, And that exemplifies to me greater sacrificial love. Jacob was willing to wait and to work. 
I don't mind working, but I don't like waiting. Are you getting that? (laughs) He could have given up. He could have said, you know what? This is ridiculous. I'm not doing this another seven years. He could have said, it's too hard. This is just too hard. You see, greater love, it doesn't measure the complications or difficulties if it's for the greater good of another person. We're willing to do it. But he could have given up, but he endured injustice and difficulty to give his love to Rachel. And then there's, after this story, I started thinking, okay, who else in the Bible, of course? Then there's uh, love between friends, exemplified by Jonathan and David. Little background, Jonathan's father was Saul, the king of Israel, and Jonathan was next in line to be the king, but God chose David to be the king. So he could have, or excuse me, he chose David to be the king. So after David killed Goliath, Saul initially loved David, but then after that, he became jealous of David. You talk about a love killer. Jealousy will kill your love quicker than anything. But he became jealous of David, and he tried to kill him so that he would not be king. At this point, David really needed a true friend. We all come to that point, don't we? And he found it in like the most unlikely person. He found it in Jonathan, Saul's son, who was supposed to be next in line for the throne. So he was like, they, they formed this amazing friendship. But instead of fighting against David, Jonathan fought for David. Obviously, there was no jealousy there, right? He even warned him, David, when his father was going to come out to kill him. 1 Samuel 23, 16 through 17 says this. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David and helped him Find strength in God. Mm. It's kind of one of the main functions of friendships, isn't it? He said, don't be afraid. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel. And now the, one of the most profound things in the Bible, and I will be second to you. I don't know about y'all, but I prefer first. I mean, don't you want to be first, you know? I will be second to you. Even my father, Saul, knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and their love is written about in the word of God. It's a beautiful example of greater love. Greater love is willing to be second fiddle so you can find your destiny. Greater love is loyal, even when it's hard to be loyal. Greater love is the first to be there in the good times, in the bad times. You know who you can call. You know who you can count on. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Greater love believes in you when it seems maybe no one else does. That's a true friend. Greater love loves others as they love themselves. So 1 Samuel 18.1 says, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. He loved him as himself. That is greater love. Jonathan and David had a greater love because each of them considered the other one. 
No strings attached. Maybe I'm not getting anything out of this, but I'm going to look at you and what you need and sacrifice and lay my life down for you. So then there's Ruth and Naomi. The story of Ruth and Naomi is about a mother-in-law named Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws named Ruth and Orpah. I got it right. Orpah. I didn't want to miss that name and name a famous television personality. So Orpah. So when all three of these women's husbands die, Naomi decides to return to the land of Judah. Ruth and Oprah decide to go with her. Oh, did I say it wrong? Okay, Orpah. You don't know how many times I practiced that. I didn't say Oprah, did I? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, your laugh gave it away. So. All right, now where was I? Okay, uh, okay, so she decides to return home. Orpah decided, or Orpah decided to go ahead and return home, but Ruth did no such thing. And Naomi is telling them, it's better for you to go back. You need to go back. It will be better for you. But instead, Ruth begs Naomi to stay with her. Ruth didn't even know if where Naomi was going was going to be better or be worse. I would have certainly found that out. I would have known, what kind of house are we going to live in? <laughs> All she, listen, this is so, this is so amazing. This hits me like, this hits me right between the eyes. All she could think of was not leaving Naomi to go through life alone. Wow, that is so beautiful. And both of these women show a greater love. Both of them actually did. They both wanted what was best for the other with little or no thought for themselves. Let me read Ruth 11, 11 through 13. Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? I'm going to have... I'm not going to have more sons who could become your husbands. Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? I don't think so. Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is better for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. Naomi's greater love for Ruth and Orpah demonstrates the power of sacrificial love. And we also see Ruth's enduring love in this poetic response that we are also familiar with to Naomi's plea for her to go back home. Here is how Ruth responds. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me. Be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. Boy, that just redefined the word commitment, didn't it? When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Ruth's unwavering loyalty highlights the power of sacrificial love. She pledged to stay by Naomi's side, even if it meant leaving behind her own family and her own home and never marrying again. That's some pretty heavy sacrifice. So in closing, I want to talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 13 commonly known as the love chapter. 
First, I want to give you some background real quickly, which is found in 1 Corinthians chapters 1 through 12. I'm just going to highlight it in two sentences, basically. But in these chapters, Paul is admonishing the Corinthians because they were being proud and self-seeking and in the flesh, and he's correcting them, and he's redirecting them. Why? Because they had the gifts of the Spirit, but they lacked the fruit of the Spirit. They cared more about the gifts and looking good than they cared about true love. They wanted the gifts without the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, and that is the first and the greatest fruit. So Paul ends these 12 chapters of admonishing them and pointing this out to them in Corinthians by making this spectacular transition and conclusion in 1 Corinthians 12, 31. Eagerly desire the greater gifts. And now I will show you the most excellent way. Very interesting. Interesting. Paul didn't say a slightly better gift or an improved gift. He didn't say a better way or a preferable way or an optional way. No, he said the greater gift and the most excellent way. If we don't have love, church, we're missing it. Then Paul goes from correcting and admonishing in these 12 chapters to this beautiful poetic love chapter. And his entire style changes. It's, it's so dramatic you just can't even miss it. He goes to this beautiful imagery as he elevates the fruit of the spirit of love. Listen to 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanking cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge and I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Whoa. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And now, these three, go ahead, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love, greater love. So I want to draw your attention to a couple things here in closing. Paul's using some very strong language here uh, to point out that the gifts without faith, I'm telling you, it's useless. It's useless. I mean, I don't know how to say it any, any other way. Without love, I'm a, only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Without love, ugh, I am nothing and I gain nothing. You see, a lack of love, it really doesn't diminish our effectiveness. It eliminates it. Everything in our lives, including the gifts and faith, must flow first and foremost from the greatest fruit of the Spirit, which is love. It's all-encompassing, and it's the greatest fruit. God's love is the greatest love of all. And when we have a revelation of the greatness of God's love, it enables us to have a greater love. You know we can't do this in ourselves. I wish I could tell a story about when I really got this down in my spirit, but I don't have time. 
God's love is, for, is so great that nothing, nothing, nothing can stop it. Romans 8, 38 through 39 says this, neither death or life, woo, nor angels or demons, nor the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Wow, what good news that is. God's love for you is so great, nothing can separate you from it. Every big, huge, awful thing you have done to make such a mess of things, guess what? God still loves you. Even though others forsake you, he will never leave you or forsake you. Even though others' love is so unconditional, God's love is completely unconditional. Even though others' love has limits, God loves, God's love has no limits. God loves you at your best. He loves you at your worst. God loves you when you're up. God loves you when you're down. God loves you when you succeed. And he loves you when you fail. However great... You think God's love is. Let me tell you what. It's actually much greater. Amen. So I'm going to just say this real quickly. I'm done. I want to give you a challenge. I love challenges because we want to not just be hearers, right? We want to be doers. I want you to think of someone that you can show some love to in a situation where you get absolutely nothing out of it other than to give that love. I want you to think of that, and I want you to do that this week. Are you willing to do that? Find someone that you can show unconditional, sacrificial love to where you get nothing out of that but to be obedient to God and to lay your life down and to sacrifice. Amen? Sound like fun? (laughs) Y'all are awful quiet on that one. Oh, yeah, we love the sermon, Pastor Deb, but what? What? You want us to do that? Okay. (laughs) I love you guys. Thank you so much. You're such a good church. It always amazes us how much you love God and love one another. It's it's wonderful doing church with you. So uh, if you have a prayer team, come on down. Prayer team, come on down. I love our prayer team. They're so, give them a hand. These folks are sacrificing to pray for you. They have to wait to go to lunch another 20, 30 minutes. Not bad, huh? Thank you, prayer team. This is unconditional sacrificial love going on right here. So if you have anything, you, you can stand. If there's any needs that you have, uh, even just to ask someone to pray with you for a greater love. We all need that from God, right? It's not in our, our sinful nature to do this. So come on down for prayer, whatever the need might be, and uh, let's pray. God, we just thank you and praise you that you're a good God, a loving God, that you've poured out your love in our hearts, that we can love one another. We admit, God, that we need your spirit, the fruit of your spirit of love in our, in our lives, and we praise you. And thank you that you are love, that God is love. And we love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to sing one more song, and you will be dismissed. Anything else, babe? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thank you.